Praise the Lord. What a song. The perfect choice for a song. This evening goes right along with the message. Just listen, just think about this for a moment. Have you turned your eyes upon Christ? Now you might say, yeah, I'm saved. I've trusted in Christ. I've, I've turned my eyes on Him. Okay, what about today? What about overall? Have you, in general... Do you daily turn your eyes upon Christ? Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 2. It's just a question to consider as we look at this, really what we're going to see tonight. If you remember last week, just for a brief recap, we saw that David, remember he was nigh to death, and he gave some parting words to Solomon, and, and basically the exhortation came down to two things. For one, put God first, and secondly, protect the kingdom. Now, obviously, uh, as I said last week, there's not really, we can't say that, that this book, per se, is written to us, but as I said last week, it is written for us, right? There are implications, there are things that we can gather from it, and the implications of that today is that we too should protect, uh, we too should put God first, but we also should protect our homes, right? From the influences of Satan, we should protect our children and our minds in the general sense, uh, from the influences of Satan, and we should replace them with good ones. But tonight, we're going to, again, see Solomon's brother Adonijah enter the scene. And the event that takes place in our text tonight is very interesting. What we're going to see tonight is the fact that Adonijah was a man that knew the will of God, and he knew what God wanted, but he was not content to live in it. And he fought against it. Interestingly, Enough, again, the this, this subject of God's will is going to come up again tonight. And um, I told Paul this morning, sometimes Paul does this, sometimes he steals my message a little bit. And, you know, I, this morning he talked a little bit in Sunday school about the will of God. This morning he also talked a lot about contentment. And I told Paul, I said, you know, somebody must need to hear about this tonight. And in general. Somebody must need to hear about the will of God. Somebody must need to hear about how to be content, and what it means to truly be content. But Adonijah, he knew God's will, but he wanted to do his own thing. He knew God's will, but his desire to do otherwise was so strong that he put his own life at risk. And because of his discontentment, he fights against God's will, he fights against what God wants, and it ends in destruction. And the title of the message tonight is simply this, The Tragedy of Discontentment. Hey, listen, ask yourself tonight... Am I content with what God has allowed in my life? And by the way, that also includes, like I said this morning, if God has allowed suffering. And this is a hard message. It is. Because we don't always allow uh, ourselves to be content in the midst of suffering or in our lot in life. But uh, discontentment is really a modern tragedy in our society today, even amongst believers really much in our society is meant to breed discontentment. Advertisements are often meant to breed discontentment. Social media is designed to breed discontentment. We always want the next best device. We want the nicest possession. We want the coolest toys. We want the newest everything. We want uh, so-and-so's life. We want this many followers. We want that many followers. It just breeds discontentment. That's just what our society does. But really, it goes beyond just possessions. It also impacts, really, our overall position in life. 
Now, many of us, we would see what happens with Adonijah and how he fought against the will of God and how he fought against uh, really everything that God had, told, had said and, and what God established. And we would look at this and we would think, man, what a fool. Why would you be discontent with your lot in life? Thinking about Adonijah. And uh, maybe we would think, man, just consider the, the freedom and the grace that he was shown. Now, remember, we're going to talk about this a little bit tonight, but he shouldn't even be alive. You remember that? Adonijah, at this point, he should be dead because he tried to steal the throne from Solomon. And that's what they did back then, man. People in uh, Israel, in ancient Israel, they were brutal. They didn't mess around. He should have been dead. But today, while we would think about that and say, man, it's crazy that he would be dissatisfied today. Again, so many people, even believers, they fight against the will of God for their life. And they live lives unsatisfied with what God has given them. They live lives that are unsatisfied with where God has placed them. And because of discontentment, they fight what he desires. They fight uh, against his word. They fight against his commandments. And they fight against his desire for their life. And really, it's all to the detriment of themselves. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 2 and look at verse 10. The Bible says in verse 10, So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and 33 years reigned he in Jerusalem. Then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. And Adonijah the son of Haggith came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. He said, Moreover, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And she said, Say on. And he said, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine. And that all Israel set their faces on me, that I should reign. Howbeit the kingdom is turned about, and is become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Take note of that. It was his from the Lord. And now I ask one petition of thee, deny me not. And she said unto him, Say on. And he said, Speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king. For he will not say thee nay, that he give me Abishag the Shunammite to wife. And Bathsheba said, Well, I will speak for thee unto the king. Bathsheba therefore went unto King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bound himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of thee. I pray thee, say me not nay. And the king said unto her, Ask on, my mother, for I will not say thee nay. And she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah thy brother to wife. And King Solomon answered and said unto his mother, And why dost thou ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also. For he is mine elder brother, even for him, and for Abathar the priest, and for the Joab the son of Zeriah. Then King Solomon sware by the Lord, saying, God, do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah have not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord liveth, which hath established me, and set me on the throne of David my father, and who hath made me in house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. And King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoda, and he fell upon him that he died. Let's pray. Dear God, help us tonight. Help us to be challenged and changed by your word. Help us to live lives that are content to be in your will. Help us to be uh, content with wherever you have placed us in this present time, and uh, whatever you have for us in our life. I pray you'll just... Uh, work in our hearts tonight. Give me the right words to say. 
I pray you help me to speak your word with boldness and with clarity. And I pray that you just uh, give us what we need tonight in your holy name. Amen. As we read here in the beginning of our text, David died, obviously, and he died at age 70. He reigned as king for 40 years, and no doubt he had many great accomplishments in his life prior to being the king, and then, of course, as a king. Just to name a few, uh, some maybe that you already know, when he defeated Goliath, and gave Israel the victory over the Philistines. By the way, thanks to God, God gave him that victory, but he used David to do it. Uh, Also, he defeated many uh, many different enemies over the years while he was king, such as the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Syrians. We know that he survived the battle and the attempt to be overthrown from Absalom. Remember, his son Absalom tried to steal the throne. Well, he was able to overcome that. We know that in his his life, David's life was not very easy. He went through many hardships. He had many battles. He had a lot of problems. And he had times of loneliness. He had uh, many sins. But in this book that we just read in 1 Kings chapter 2, as it records his death, there's no negative aspect of his life even mentioned. In fact, even in 1 Chronicles 29, 28, it says of David, it says that he died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and it says honor. And that's awesome. Just, Just think about that. There's no mention... Of his adultery, there's no mention of his murder of Uriah, there's no mention of his mistakes and his failures, there's no mention of him taking a census that resulted in many deaths, there's none of that. And listen, the reason that there's none of that is because he had made peace with God for his sins. He had gone to God and been forgiven by his sins, so there was no reason for God to bring it up again. And likewise, Christian, listen, when we go to God for forgiveness of our sins, we can know that he is not going to bring it up again. And it's awesome to know, hey, my sins are under the blood, and uh, they are forgiven. It's as far as the east is from the west, it's gone. Thank God for that. Look at 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 12. The Bible says in verse 12, it says, Then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. So after the death of David, here we have Solomon. He officially gets established as the king. And the Bible tells us that his throne was established greatly. This just simply means that it was uh, set up and it was fixed. And the reason that it was established greatly was because God wanted Solomon to be the king. He established him greatly. Now again, keep this in mind. We've talked about this a lot. I've hit it over the head time and time again. God wanted Solomon to be the king. It was God's will. It was God's plan. Uh, It was God that set Solomon up to be king, and it was God that established his throne greatly. And I mentioned this back in the introduction of 1 Kings several weeks ago. Remember what uh, Daniel wrote in Daniel 2, chapter 21. He said about God, he said that he changeth the time and the seasons, and he removeth kings and setteth up kings. So it's no different in 1 Kings, and by the way, you can thank God it's no different today. He sets up and he takes down kings and rulers. And presidents, whether you like it or not. It's God, God has allowed it. It's in his sovereign plan. So praise God for it. But Adonijah, by all accounts, again, he deserved to die for what he did to try to just take the throne over in the first place. But again, Solomon, in his grace, gave him another chance. Now, if you remember, Solomon made it very clear that if Adonijah was found to be doing wickedness, again, or or trying to overtake his throne, then guess what? He said, you're going to die. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 1, look at verse 51. 
We're going to look at a few places here, so just bear with me to, as we set this up here. Look at 1 Kings chapter 51. It says, And it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Ananijah feareth King Solomon, for lo, he hath caught hold on the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me this today, that he will not slay his servant with the sword. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not an hair of him fall on the earth, but if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon set forth, uh, sent and brought him down from the altar, and he came and bowed himself to King Solomon, and Solomon said unto him, Go to thine house. Again, Solomon, uh, Adonijah, he should have been dead. He should not have been alive, let alone have any uh, inkling of freedom as we see here. But knowing Solomon's command, and knowing the grace that he had been shown, one would think that, uh, that Adonijah would just be thrilled to death to be alive. And he should just be so happy to be alive, and as a result, just live his life in obedience. Well, again, with, the, with this in mind, look at 1 Kings chapter 2. And look at verse 13. Look across the page there. In verse 13, the Bible says, And Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. He said, Moreover, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And she said, Say on. So uh, here we have Adonijah going to Bathsheba with a petition. Instead of going to Solomon, he goes to Bathsheba. And, and Bathsheba said, Do you come in peace? And this would indicate that there was still possibly tension that lingered between Adonijah and Solomon's family. Now, considering the fact that Adonijah would have killed her and her son if he had been king, this is very plausible. But Adonijah expresses, yes, he, I do come in peace. I come peaceably, and he explains, I have something to say to you. And then Bathsheba simply says, say on, and she's just indicating, hey, I'm, I'm listening, I'm ready to hear what you have to say. And then this is where Adonijah really begins to get foolish. Look at verse 15. It says, And he said, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine, and, all, and that all Israel set their faces on me, that I should reign, howbeit the kingdom is turned about, and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. So Adonijah declares that the kingdom was his, and then he states that all Israel set their faces on me, that I should reign. So he's acting as if all of Israel was on board with him becoming the king. When, by the way, in reality, it was just a handful of people that was with him. And, by the way, quickly deserted him when trouble came. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 1, look at verse 49. It says, And all the guests that were with Adonijah were afraid and rose up and went every man his way. Notice that word, all. All the guests. Hey, listen, when things like this happen, this is when you find out who your real friends are. Well, Adonijah apparently had no real friends because they weren't sticking around. So not only did the few people that were with him desert him when Solomon got anointed as king during this little party, but the people outside of the party, they were so loud and so excited about Solomon's reign that the Bible says that the earth rent with the sound of the people. Look at First uh, Kings chapter 1, verse 40. Again, this is a little bit of review, but I'm just trying to remind you of a few things here. Look at verse 40. And all the people came up after him, and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth rent with the sound of them. So here's the thing. Listen, no, all of Israel did not set their face and look to you as their king. Okay? Adonijah was so dissatisfied with his life 
And he was so dissatisfied with where God had placed him that he convinced himself that all Israel wanted him to be the king when it wasn't even true at all. But even more interesting than this false assumption that all of Israel was looking for him to be the king is his next statement. Look again at 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 15. It says, And he said, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel set their faces on me, <clears throat> that I should reign. But look at this. He says, Howbeit the kingdom is turned about, and is become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. So Adonijah not only acknowledged that everything was flipped upside down with the kingdom being given to Solomon, but again, he acknowledged the fact that Solomon got the throne from God himself. He says that the throne was given to him from the Lord, which, by the way, the Lord there is Jehovah. That is the proper name of the one true God. So Adonijah knew that it was God's will. He knew it was God's plan for Solomon to be the king. There was no denying it. So, so let's just think for a minute, okay? If it was God's will and God's plan for Solomon to be the king, what does that mean for Adonijah? That means that it wasn't God's plan for him to be the king. That means it was not God's will for Adonijah to be the king. But despite this truth, let's look at what Adonijah says next. Look at verse 16. It says, And now I ask one petition of thee to Bathsheba, deny me not. And she said unto him, Say on. And he said, Speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say thee nay, that he giveth me Abishag, a Shunammite, to wife. So he says here, I, I have one, to, one request, deny me not. And what, what that means is simply this, do not refuse my expectation. So with this being true, we know that Adonijah, for some reason, he fully expected that this was going to happen. He fully believed that Solomon would not deny a request from his mother, and he even stated it in verse 17. Well, what is his request? Give me Abishag, the Shunammite, to wife. All right, hold on. Do you remember who Abishag is? Abishag was that young lady that took care of David in his final days. Now, she was a beautiful woman, as we've seen before. This is part of the reason why she was chosen to take care of David. But the reason for Adonijah's request to have Abishag went far beyond her beauty. You've got to catch this. In those days, taking possession of a king's concubines was a declaration of one's rights to the throne. So, we know that Abishag was not a concubine because first, the first few verses of 1 Kings tells us that David knew her not. But Adonijah could have easily said that she was. So this was simply a tactic to take the throne. Now taking a king's concubines in order to take the thrones, by the way, I want you to remember, it was actually one of Absalom's methods when he led his rebellion against David. Now you remember that uh, Adonijah before he had taken taken a, uh, a really I guess you could say a play out of his brother's playbook before. Remember when he had his parade, he had the 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 horsemen and the chariots running before him. Well, both Absalom and Adonijah did the same. So trying to marry Abishag was yet another move that Absalom had tried to do. Let's see let's see it in Second Samuel. Go to Second Samuel chapter sixteen. Now you would think, I mean, he's just like following in his brother's footsteps. And by the way, remember what happened to Absalom? He died. So you'd think that <laughs> he, would, he would get the idea, okay, if I keep doing these things, I'm probably going to die. 
But he just continues to do foolish things. Look at 2 Samuel 16, <clears throat> verse 22. We see here that Absalom, he too, uh, did the same thing that Anijah did when he tried to take the throne. Look at 2 Samuel 16, verse 22. The Bible says, So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. So, again, we see Adonijah doing that which was similar to Absalom as he tried to take over the throne. Now, since Abishag would be considered part of David's harem, uh, again, her mar- his marriage to Abishag would have strengthened his claim to the throne. Now, we also know this to be true for another reason. When Bathsheba told Solomon what he had requested, I want you to notice his response. Go back to 1 Kings chapter 2. Notice Solomon's response. Look at 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 18. It says here, And Bathsheba said, Well, I will speak for thee unto the king. And Bathsheba therefore went to the king Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of thee. I pray thee, say me not nay. And the king said unto her, Ask on, my mother, for I will not say thee nay. And she said, Let Abishag Shunammite be given to Adonijah thy brother to wife. And the king Solomon answered and said unto his mother, And why dost thou ask Abishag Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also. So Bathsheba asked Solomon to allow Abishag and Adonijah to get married. And what does he say? Ask for him the kingdom also. So Solomon knew that Adonijah's request was a plot to get the throne back. So Solomon was telling him, hey, you, telling Bathsheba, you might as well ask me to just give the throne and give the kingdom to Adonijah. Just ask me to hand the kingdom over to him if you're going to ask me to give Abishag to wife. Just ask me to sign away the kingdom because that's what's, that's what's going to happen if I do this. Now, whether or not Bathsheba was really truly naive of Adonijah's plan or she was just wise enough to know what he was up to is unclear. Maybe she did know what Adonijah was trying to do and just decided to uh, tell Solomon in this manner, kind of a sarcastic manner, uh, because he deserved to know what was happening. Or maybe she felt sympathy for Adonijah. I don't, I don't really know. But regardless, Solomon could see right through it. So in all of this, we can understand what Adonijah's mindset was. Listen, it was this. His mindset was this. I know it's God's will for Solomon to be king, but I'm going to fight against it anyway. I know it's God's will for uh, him to sit on the throne and not for me to sit on the throne, but I'm going to try to get the throne anyway. I know that God has placed me in this position that I'm in, but I want to be the king. Adonijah was fighting against what he knew was the will of God because he was discontent. He wanted to be the king and he was not content where God had placed him. So Adonijah, he refused to accept God's will. He refused to submit to God's will. He refused to uh, live in contentment where God had placed him. And because of this, he tried to change it. Now, we know that since the beginning of time, man has lived in discontentment and rebelled against the submission of God's will and 
his, result, his desires as a result. Just think of the very start with Adam and Eve. Okay, let's just get down to Sunday school level tonight, okay? God gave them everything they could ever want and everything they could ever need. They had all the food, the resources, the land. They were able to walk with God. They had everything. But they were not content with what they had, and they wanted just a little more. That one fruit that they were forbidden to have, they wanted it. We've, we've looked at Joshua. I remember Achan. Bring him up a lot. And he stole the spoils of war when God said, do not touch them. Do not take them. He was not content with what he had. He uh, was not content to wait until the next battle to have this gain. He disobeyed God and he went against his word all because he wanted, again, just a little more. He was not content. And again, this is a problem today. We, in our society and as Americans, so often we lack contentment with what God has given us. We lack contentment with where God has placed us. And we lack, a content, uh, we lack contentment with just the general things that God has given us today. Now, I, I know some of you may not like this uh, news source, but it's okay. CNN. Amen. <laughs> CNN. A CNN headline article from February of this, this year, okay, reads this. This was a headline. American happiness hits record lows. And it goes on to say this. One word can describe how Americans are feeling about the way things are going. Bad. That's a finding of a new Gallup poll out Wednesday that measures the state of the nation. And it's what a lot of other data tells us as well. Gallup has been asking Americans how they are feeling about different aspects of life and policy issues for the last two decades. And this year, across those 29 different measurements, just 38% of Americans say they're satisfied. 38%. So here we are in America. We have more physical possessions than we could ever actually use and need. And by the way, even those that are poor in America, they're actually rich in comparison to a lot of people in the world. But this proves that contentment is not found in stuff. It's not found in jobs. It's not found in activities and money and success or anything else of the sort. But like Adonijah, so many try to get more when they should just be thankful for what God has allowed them to have now. Again, I keep bringing this up, but consider the fact that Solomon showed grace to Adonijah. Just again, the fact that he was able to live, it should have driven him to live right and to, to be content knowing what he deserved. And listen, Christian, we too have experienced grace. Amen. We've experienced the grace of God. And this fact, it should cause us to be content wherever God has placed us. It should cause us to be content with whatever God has allowed us to have. Whether I have every dream of mine fulfilled or not, God is gracious, and I can live content in His grace. He's given me so much more than I deserve. Now, there's a lot of problems with discontentment, but one problem is the fact that it takes away our sense of gratitude. It takes away our peace of mind. It takes away our enjoyment of life that God desires us to have. Discontentment is an emotion that, that causes us to really think against the Lord. Again, look, Adonijah, he was clearly not happy with God. Again, he knew that it was his will for Solomon to be the king. 
And when we live discontent, we're basically telling God, I'm not happy with what you've given me. I'm not happy with where you have placed me. And if you're not content with your life and your lot in life, you might as well just tell God, hey, God, I'm not happy with what you've given me. I'm not happy. And you know, as somebody that has children, when my children are clearly not content with what they have or they have been given, I tell you what, I'm not happy about it. And if you have children or you've given somebody something before and they are very clearly not satisfied with it, that hurts. You don't like that. So how much more has God given us? Can I just say, life in general, that's enough to praise God for eternity. But he's just given us more and more and more. He's bestowed so much on our lives and if we're discontent, we're never going to be happy where he placed us. And as a result, we will be hindered from accomplishing what he wants us to accomplish because we're always going to want something more. We're always going to want something different. And this was Adonijah's problem. He was discontent and he was unwilling to just do what God wanted him to do. Listen, Christian, discontentment is never a place where, where a Christian should live. You should never live in a, a, a state of discontentment. And it will cause us to... Lack of desire to follow God's will instead of just pursue God's will. And, and we'll try to pursue our own will instead. And we'll lack submission to his word and his will instead look just to do what we want. Now, I've seen so many Christians at times try to force their will over God's will. One person put it this way. They said this, when God bolts the door, don't try to get in through the window. Hey, listen. If God bolts the door of your desires by making it clear that it's contrary to his words, just stop. Don't even bother. If God bolts the doors of your great plans and your desires and tries to move you in a different direction, just go in a different direction. If he bolts the doors of uh, hopes and dreams, don't try to force it and make it happen. Just live in God's will, live in his plan, and do what you know he wants you to do right now. Amen. Adonijah, in our passage here, he, he tried to go through a window when God bolted the door. And again, he knew it was not God's will for him to reign, but he tried to make it happen anyway. So ask yourself this question. Tonight, am I content where God has placed me? Are you content with your job? Now I'm starting to meddle. <laughs> Seriously, listen. Are you content with your job? And you say, I don't like my job. I don't like my boss. Praise God you have a job. There's a lot of people that don't. Are you, what about your relationships? Maybe you don't have certain relationships in your life that you want. Well, how about you praise the Lord for the relationships that God has allowed in your life? What about your home? You know, maybe you want a bigger home. You want, you want nicer things. Well, hey, praise God, you have a home. What about just the general things that God's given you? Praise God for it. As much as Adonijah desired the throne, it, it was not in God's plan. But oftentimes Christians desire God to put them in specific places and to allow them to do specific things, and it's not his will. And by the way, it may even be good and noble desires, but it just isn't his will. So we need contentment. And sometimes contentment is something that must be learned. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Go to Philippians chapter 4. The book of Philippians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's such a wonderful book. And I want you to remember the fact that Paul wrote this epistle while he was in prison. 
And, and I, I've mentioned this many times before, and you probably already know, but the prisons back then were not as wonderful as they are today. They were dirty. They didn't treat you anywhere near as good as what you get treated if you were to go to American prison. Let's just say this. If you were homeless, you would not be trying to get into prison if you were in Paul's day. Look at Philippians chapter 4, and look at verse 10. It says, in verse 10, Paul said, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I both know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now in this passage, Paul is bringing up the financial support, which he mentions in Philippians chapter 2. He states to them, hey, your care for me has flourished. Uh, you've come through for me and supported me. And he was thankful and he rejoiced in the Lord. And he lets them know that, uh, hey, I'm not just thankful for the offerings that you've given me and the, the financial support, uh, which he obviously was, uh, because God loves cheerful givers. And the Bible tells us that. But in verse 11, Paul states, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So this is telling us, Paul said, hey, I learned this. He had to learn contentment. And by the way, this is a great thing to learn. It's great to learn to be content. So if he had to learn to be content, it's obvious that he, at times, struggled with contentment. He struggled with being content, but God helped him. And as he goes on to make mention in verse 12, he says that he knows how to be abased and he knows how to abound, meaning that he knows what it's like to be poor. He knows what it's like to be needy and he knows what it's like to have an abundance of money and abundance of goods. And then in verse 13, he explains how he can be content. He has the power through the Holy Spirit, through Christ who gives him the strength to be content. And again, Paul had times where he was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was attacked, but he still says, I have learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And so often we may look at Paul, and I've done it before too, and just say, man, Paul, he was just so content, he was so spiritual, but it wasn't something that came naturally to him because he said, I have learned. And contentment is something that we have to learn because, honestly, it's not natural for mankind. But through the Holy Spirit, Paul was able to learn to be content, no matter what he had, no matter what he lacked, because in the end, Paul had the peace of God that passes all understanding. And God, through the Holy Spirit, can help us with this too. And by the way, we know that Paul did learn how to be content, not just because he said it, but because he lived it. You remember... Paul and Silas, as they were sitting in one of those wonderful jail cells uh, in Acts chapter 16, what did they do? They sang to the Lord with thanksgiving. That is proof right there of true contentment. We know in Philippians 4.4, 4, the Bible tells us to rejoice in the Lord. Always. You know that you can always rejoice in the Lord? You, you may not be able to rejoice because of your circumstances or as we talked about this morning, your suffering, but you can always Rejoice in the Lord. And if we allow our joy to be in Christ and not based on things, then we will be.
be consistently joyful because of the hope that we have in Christ because it never changes. I love that song, uh, a couple songs. For one, Christ is all I need. I also love that song, uh, All I Have is Christ. And it's so true. It's such a great truth. And really, it's one that the world doesn't understand because they don't have the love of Christ. They don't have contentment in Christ. But Adonijah, remember, he, he looked for contentment in worldly status. He looked for contentment in the kingship and having the throne and what he could gain. But we can be content always because of the riches that we have in Christ. Let's go to Psalm chapter 36. Psalm chapter 36. Look at verse 7. Psalm chapter 36, verse 7. The Bible says in verse 7, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wing. And notice what it says in verse 8. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Hey, listen, are you abundantly satisfied? You can be in Christ. Now, like Adonijah, at times we may want to move on to something greater. We may want something different. We may want a nobler opportunity. But it may not be God's desire. So if that's where we're at, what are we supposed to do? If we are in the state of discontentment and we desire something different, but we're not sure uh, if it's in God's plan and we're not sure what God wants us to do next, well, what are we supposed to do? Well, if this is where you're at, then again, for one, you need to ask God to help you learn to be content where you are now. You need to submit to God and His will and His word now. You need to do what you know you're supposed to do now and wait for God's timing for the rest. We need to submit to God's will right now and live content where He has placed us in life. Because if we look to force our own will on our own life, it is destructive. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 24. Look at these last couple verses here. 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 24. The Bible says, Now therefore, as the Lord liveth, which hath established me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who hath made me in house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. And King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoda, and he fell upon him that he died. Now we wonder again, why Adonijah, after hearing the warning in 1 Kings chapter 1, why he would make such a request. It could be that maybe he thought that Solomon was too uh, unwise and not experienced enough to do the right thing, but again, he soon found out that Solomon was, was a very wise and decisive leader. But regardless, Adonijah, it, it just discontentment took over. And again, living in discontentment is destructive. So here it is. What is the tragedy of discontentment? Well, for Adonijah, it resulted in death. But for us today, it results in our walk with God being hindered. It will result in not fulfilling His will for our life. It will result in uh, hindered opportunities and blessings that God wants to bestow. And again, it will always cause us to live in a state of dissatisfaction. Discontentment is a monster, and if we feed it, it's going to get very large and very destructive. So we need to be careful not to find our contentment in other things. But instead, whatever God's will is, whatever His purpose, whatever His plan is for your life, be content 
in it. Find joy in it. Live your life for God with the spirit of thankfulness. And, and not and instead of dwelling on the negative aspects and everything that you don't have. Again, as I mentioned, praise God for what you do have. Praise God for the opportunities that He has given you. Be faithful to carry out the mission of your life that God has given you right now and just follow His will and His word. And one of the greatest examples of this, I'm not going to go there, but it's found in, in Genesis with Joseph. And Joseph went through some hard stuff. But again, it was all part of God's plan to bring him where he was going to be. It was all part of God's plan to preserve the seed of Christ. It's just awesome. It was all part of God's sovereign plan. One writer said this, Contentment is determined by what we believe, and our belief is fueled by what we're seeing. So if you need to lay aside the weight of discontentment today, the sinful kind that stems from disappointment and leads to grumbling, begin by looking at what you're looking at. What are you looking at? We need to look to Christ. Because in Him is satisfaction. In Him is contentment. We can look to Him and have contentment always. The secret to contentment is simply looking to Christ. I think of Psalm chapter 23, the very first verse that says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, because God is my shepherd, I'm satisfied. I'm content. Think of the verse that Alan mentioned this morning in Sunday school. Set your affections on things above. Hey, look, if we set our affections on things above and not things of earth, we will be content. We will be satisfied. I want to read one more verse. You don't have to go there, but for Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, for our conversation, and that means our citizenship, is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This world is not our home. Thank God for that. What are you looking at? Let's look to Christ. Let's be thankful for what God has given us, even if we don't necessarily like it. Because it's part of God's plan. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.